I'm going to ask Rick to come and speak to us. Is it okay if I pray for you? (laughs) Father, we thank you for for Rick, for his ministry, for um, the way that you've led him over many years and the way that you've used him over many years. Um, And Father, we pray that you will speak through him. Give him clarity of thought as he comes to speak to us. And give us ears that are ready to listen to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mandy, worship team. Wow, it's so great to be here with you. Thanks for the uh, invitation, the privilege of of being with you today. It's always an honor to connect with with other people in the body of Christ. I just want to bring greetings from from our church. We're called the International Community Church. you know, you live here, you know those people from all over the world, you can tell by the sound of my voice that I wasn't born and raised in Adelston, uh, but I'm from that starry, stripy flag up there. My wife is from the, the green one with the blue circle up there by the cross. Uh, we've both lived a couple places, and for the last eight years, our, our family has lived here. Uh, so our, our church and your church and a few others around are, are part of an organization, maybe you know the, the South Runnymede Churches. And uh, our, our ministers get together regularly for, for a prayer and, and lunch and some discussion. And it's just, uh, that's been a really encouraging thing for me in the time that we've been here. As, as Mandy mentioned, I want to talk a little bit from some ideas about the Sermon on the Mount, which really is, it's one of the most essential, crucial teachings that we have from our Savior. And... There's so much to talk about, so, so it's three hours here at the talk, right? I want to talk uh, uh, about the part where Jesus says, don't worry. I want to talk about the part where, where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. By any chance, did anyone have a, ever have a job delivering newspapers? All right. All right. I'm not alone here today. My newspaper job started when I was 10 years old, and it was nice. I was about the slowest kid in my grade, and my paper route was on a hill like this. And in about four months, I was the fastest kid in my class. It was awesome. But what was not awesome was this one house on the corner that had a big, nasty dog that looked a little like this. But in their defense, they did keep the dog fenced up in. It, it, it was behind a, a little picket fence in the back garden like that. And so sometimes the dog was in the back garden behind the fence and would get out. And sometimes it was out on the front porch on a chain. And, you know, when you see the chain there, you don't know for sure if the dog's lying down, if, if the chain's actually attached. <laughs> and you don't know for sure, you see all the chain coiled up, you don't know how, how long that'll let the dog go. So I had this little bike, you know, and I had these two big canvas bags chock full of newspapers, and yeah, I'm 10, you know, you, you go through a, a, a quick maneuver like that, the heavy bags jostle, and you could hardly steer it. Oh my Lord, that dog is big, and it's coming right at me. This dog would chase me all the time. One time he got me, it was not good. So I used to ask my dad, um, Dad, please come with me on the paper. Dad, you don't understand, this dog, rah, rah, rah. 
So my, my, I had an afternoon paper up, but Saturdays, my delivery was on the morning, so this one Saturday, he said, yes, I'll come with you. So I get on my little bike, he gets on his 10-speed, and, and we come around, and, and uh, sure enough, I, I, was, I was praying that, that this would be one of the days that the dog was out, you know? So actually, it happened. The dog's out, he's sitting on the front porch, no chain, he sees us coming, and he comes, Ooh. And so then I'll never forget this moment as long as I live. In mid-pedal, my dad launched off of the left pedal, just totally leapt off the bike. The bike goes careening off into the road. He comes running right at the dog. And the dog did exactly that. Thank you very much. Thank you. We talked about this earlier. Tuck tail, arr, 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 arr. hop the fence into the back garden. It was a beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, I, 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 when I think about that story, there's so much worry that we can have about life. And worry is not always unreasonable. Worry is a natural human response to danger and stressful conditions. But the worry that, so the worry that I had on my route with the dog there was very real. It was in no way irrational. But it was also, when my dad was with me, it was in no way necessary. And we have all kinds of things to worry about. In fact, in, in 2016, there was a, a study here in the UK that said that, that anxiety and worry and depression were markedly on the rise in 2016. And that was before, how many prime, minister, prime ministers in a row? Brexit and all that chaos, uh, a, a pandemic, a, a war on the continent, oil prices, you know, cost of living crisis. That was in 2016. But Jesus still says, do not worry. So here's a question for you. If disaster struck, if you lost your job, if you got an illness, if you lost all your possessions and savings, how would you feel? If you lost everything, what would you be glad that you still had? So Jesus comes with the Sermon on the Mount, right? And this is really all, it's all about the kingdom. John the Baptist came and announced, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he starts doing signs of the kingdom. Then people start coming. Then he sits down to teach them about the kingdom. He goes through the Beatitudes, which, which are an announcement that the kingdom of, of heaven is here. And, and the blessing of the kingdom is not found in these descriptions that Jesus gives, because he was describing things that were not considered blessed conditions. He's saying there's a blessing in the kingdom even for you. Then he talks about we have to be salt and light and extend the invitation to the kingdom for other people. Then he starts talking about all these human issues, and he doesn't pull any punches. He goes right for the nitty-gritty grossness of the worst part of human life. Anger, contempt, lust, manipulation dishonesty. He goes right for it, doesn't he? He tells us, in the kingdom, I used to think about the Sermon on the Mount as if they were laws of the kingdom. 
here comes the king to give us the new laws for his kingdom. But that wasn't quite right. And, and some people might think about it as ethics, you know, it, it, the way we ought to live in the kingdom. But I don't think that, this, that the Sermon on the Mount is about what we must do in the kingdom or what we ought to do in the kingdom. It's not law. It's not ethics. It's kingdom culture. It's the way we should naturally find ourselves living in the kingdom of heaven. So he goes all through those issues about how the righteous heart will be when we are living in the kingdom of heaven. So then in Matthew 6, he changes gears a little bit, and he starts to talk about misguided ways that people try to find security outside of the kingdom. In the first half of chapter 6, it's... It's, a, it's our, our misguided attempt to look for, for spiritual security. By, by, and he gives these examples, praying and giving alms and fasting. Not because we really love God and we want to do these things that reach for Him and, and, and please Him and seek Him, but because we want to be seen as being righteous by others. Isn't it amazing how we have this great capacity to do the right thing for the totally wrong motive? But he says you should do that all for an audience of one. And then he starts to talk about our material security. And in verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. It's how you see. It talks about your, what's your perspective on life. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is trying to to, to speak to them about their perspective on life. Can I tell you something that's true? This life is very short, and eternity is very long. What do you live for? Who do you live for? What are the values that guide your decisions? What's the reality you see that ends up forming even your very feeling about the life that you live. When I'm living for here and now, I worry about what people think about me. I worry about what I accumulate. I worry, worry about having good experiences that give me a thrill. Losses devastate me. If I lose something that I've accumulated, I've lost ground. If I lose someone that I love, I'm shattered. Life is short. Eternity is really long. And all through Scripture, God is trying to get our attention and shift our focus from here and now to eternity. In Paul's famous prayer beginning the letter to the Ephesian church, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be opened you will know the glorious hope to which you've been called. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, 
Paul writes, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What do we see? Colossians 3. A lot, of the, a lot of the epistles, especially Paul's, right, it starts out, maybe half of it or something like that, it's all about what is true. It's kind of doctrine, 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 doctrine. He's building a foundation. And then there's a, there's a pivot, there's a turn where he begins to say, and now in light of all this stuff that's true, this is how we can live. And in Colossians at chapter 3, there's that pivot, there's that turn. Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind. See, my, my heart, what, 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 what grips me, what I care about, my mind, what I think about, think about, think about. We, we have this, is anyone else here a ruminator? You know, we, we have this, these thoughts, and they just go around and around and around. Uh, I, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, out on the, in the northwest of the U.S., and my mom was from middle America, from Iowa, and every couple years we would take a 32-hour drive from Portland to Iowa and go to the farm country. So we were driving through South Dakota one day, and the road, it looks like a perspective painting. You know, it's, it's literally as straight as an arrow as far as you can see. And it was a hot, hot day, and cruise control was on, and, and my dad noticed that the, the road kept grabbing the wheels because a truck had gone on a hot, hot day and worn the ruts in the, in the road. And so he, he thought, I wonder, and the wheels fit right into the rut, and he had the cruise control on, he took his hands away, and wow, look at that, perfect. And that's exactly the way I think sometimes, because I've, I've thought a certain kind of a thought so often that I've worn grooves in the thought process of my mind, and it takes deliberate, conscious decision to steer my thought train out of those grooves. You know what I'm talking about. We've got to train ourselves to think in terms of eternity, in terms of the kingdom. So set your mind on earthly things. Uh, things above, things above, things. You see, you see the, th- the, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. That's why you don't have to worry about all that stuff anymore, because you've dead. Congratulations, you're dead. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So what is our treasure? The thing we value, cherish, protect against loss. And like I said, Jesus goes right for the nitty-gritty. Money's a big deal. Prayer is a big deal. Dallas Willard, who writes a lot about spiritual formation and discipleship, he says, look, giving and prayer are Christianity 101. Why? Because they really deal with the issue of where's our dependence, on ourselves or a little bit north. So you can't serve both. Either money is your master and God is a tool to pursue money. And that's a gospel that a lot of people preach. Have you ever heard someone preach it and it sounds like, hmm, sounds like you're using God as a tool to get more money. Is that what you're after really? Or God is your master and money is a tool to serve your pursuit of God. So then he moves on. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Should we try? Let's try to worry a little bit and see if we can. It's real silly, isn't it? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? How will I afford my heating bill? The cost of food is going up. The cost of petrol is going up. Ah! Don't worry. Like I said at the beginning, worry is not necessarily irrational. It's a normal human response to legitimately threatening conditions. So to say don't worry is not to be the ostrich burying the head in the sand and say there's no danger, there's no danger, there's no danger. To say don't worry is to say yes, that's true, but dad's with you. I love it. In Romans 4, it talks to, Paul's writing about Abraham and faith, right? And some people's idea of faith is denying reality. It says that Abraham, knowing that his body was as good as dead, and his wife's also, yet in faith believed the promise that God had given them that they would have a child. So it's not to deny reality. It's to look reality straight in the face and then look a little bit higher and see an even bigger reality. Don't worry all these things. For the pagans, the, the, the idol worshipers, they run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, <clears throat> don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Worry is a killer. Worry is the, it's the opposite of the Sabbath principle. Philippians chapter 4 is a, a great verse in this, right? You know this one probably. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a beautiful passage. But there's a very important statement that Paul makes right before this bit that often people quote, and that is verse 5. The next slide, please. The Lord is near. That's why we can be anxious for nothing, because the Lord is near. When you're on your paper route and the dog is coming, the Lord is near. So he says, seek first His kingdom. And his righteousness. What's his righteousness? Again, it's not the exterior things. It's not doing the right, thi- the right things for the wrong reason when I've still got my, my heart full of junk. It's letting Jesus transform me. I suck in his word. I, I put myself in worship. I th- think about him. I surround myself with, with other people who want to follow him. And I allow my, the Holy Spirit to, to direct me and to correct me. And 
transform me, and I start to become the kind of person that does the right thing without trying or planning, just like we used to be slaves to sin. Oh, there I went and did sin again, and I wasn't even trying. We become slaves to righteousness. Oh, there I went and did righteousness again, and I wasn't even trying. And what's the kingdom of God? It's the domain of the king. It's the place where the king's will is done. We live in a kingdom, don't we? But it's kind of like not really a kingdom. It's kind of a, it's a constitutional figurehead monarchy. When Jesus says he's the king, he's not King Charles. He's the actual king with actual authority. Do I align my life with God's will and God's kingdom? Because sometimes I think that the greatest threat to the kingdom, of, of the kingdom of Jesus is the kingdom of darkness. But in reality, the greatest threat to the kingdom of heaven in my life is the kingdom of Rick. Because I don't want to do what God wants to do. <clears throat> I want to do what Rick wants to do. There's so many things that we could live for in life. There's so many things that we have to manage and think about in life. There's so many things that we could worry about in life. But I want to tell you, if you focus your heart and your mind on the idea that life is short and eternity is long and Jesus came and He's establishing His kingdom, He's establishing it in me, He's establishing it in the world, and I am part of it. And if that is the lens through which you see your life, your worry will evaporate. There's still things you got to do, but your worry will evaporate, and your heart will be filled with peace. Can we pray? Oh, Jesus, you're so gracious. Lord, you are the king. We acknowledge your kingship. We acknowledge your authority. Lord, we're so grateful that you are a king of love and grace. You don't have to be. I imagine what life and the world would be like if, if you were a tyrant, but you're gracious. You're patient. You sacrifice yourself to bring us life. So, Lord, fill our minds. Let the default rumination of our mind be to think about you and your grace, your goodness, your kindness, and your kingdom. Lord, fill our hearts. Lord, let our values, the things we cherish, the things we long for, let them be things deeply rooted in eternity in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, teach us not to worry. Fill us with peace. Guide us in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. It's really great to be with you guys.